0: How did I find myself here, living out my days, locked away from the life I could have had? Did the world conspire against me, put me up to take the fall? or was this me? What did I believe about myself, that I'm forced to be alone, that I was robbed of what I longed to have? But maybe in the end, the one who carried out the heist was me.
1: Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. I want to say hello to those of you that are here in our auditorium, those of you that are in our overflow space, and those of you that are watching online. It is good to be with you today. My name is Jeannie Stevens. This is Jarrett. We are the lead pastors of Soul City, and we are thrilled to be able to dive deeper into a series that we kicked off last week called The Heist. And we're looking at what robs us from real relationships. There's a passage in uh, John that says that there is a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That there is a thief that wants to make sure that there is a heist in every single one of your relationships. And the mission is that you would get locked up and that you would not be free in your relationships with one another. But the good news is this, that Jesus says, but I have come. But I have come, thank you.
0: Chris is in the house.
1: I have come for life and life to the fullest. And that's our hope. That is our hope because we no longer have to be locked up behind bars in our relationship with one another. And there is a very real force that we're going to look at today that every single one of us has experienced in our relationships with one another. And that force is fear. Ever have some fear in your relationships? Mm -hmm. Ever have some fear with one another? Ever have some fear about what's out there and what could occur? We're going to look at what happens when that force of fear locks us up in our relationships.
0: There's been a lot written about, studied about fear. What is it that we fear? Why is it that we fear it? Uh, There's actually a university, Chapman University, has made a pretty big focus understanding uh, kind of human psyche and why it is that we are so often so afraid, and they've been studying this in Americans for years, and earlier this summer, they released their study from last year, from 2016, of the top fears that Americans hold, and I thought it was really interesting. Maybe, though, not terribly surprising. Do you know that 60%, the number one fear of Americans this last year, 60% of Americans have a fear of corrupt government officials? LAUGHTER of makes sense in an election year, but that is six out of 10 people believe that that's something they should be afraid of. Not surprisingly, 41% of Americans fear a terror attack or fear, you know, act of terrorism on a regular basis. 40% of Americans fear not having enough money. They're scared about their own personal finances. Now, just think about that. Corrupt government officials, terrorism, and financial troubles. Turn on the news for five minutes, I dare you, and not find one of those three stories. Mm. You understand how we perpetuate a culture of fear? It's all a part of our regular rhythm. Now, those top three fears, you'd kind of expect those to be towards the top, right? What interested me was what was at the bottom of the list, and I couldn't wait to share them with you this weekend, (laughs) because you know that in 2016... One in 10 Americans, that's 10%. That means one person in your row has a valid, legitimate fear of zombies. (laughs) That's happening right now in this room. (laughs) 10% of Americans fear the zombie apocalypse. 9% of Americans fear ghosts, which is like zombies, only not as gross. But what is really interesting to me and seemed way too far down on the list for me, 8% of Americans have a fundamental fear of clowns. And I feel like, personally, that should be way higher. We should be way more afraid of clowns. What are they up to? What are their motives? I don't know. I'm scared about it. And I want others to join me. Look, we all face fear in different ways. We all face fear, honestly, in some form or another every day. And it looks different for all of us. We all fear different things, as that survey would point out. But the effect of fear is actually pretty clear and pretty consistent in our lives. Fear has the power to affect our most important relationships Mm -hmm. oftentimes without us even realizing it. Mm -hmm. Has the power to affect how we see ourselves and ultimately our relationship with God. Think about the power that fear has had or maybe has right now in your life to direct your decisions, the choices you make, rooted in some fundamental fears. It has the power to dominate Your thoughts, this is where anxiety oftentimes comes from, is a fear that we cannot let go of in our head. Hmm. It can drive us towards unhealthy habits or patterns or addiction as a form of escape from the fear that we're facing. And all the while it's driving us to that, it's driving us away from the people that we love the most. Think about it, someone who is afraid of being alone, so desperately afraid of not finding someone, being alone, that is a real Fear. A lot of folks face that fear. But someone who's driven by that fear can be led into all kinds of unhealthy, bad relationships Mm. because they're trying to fix the fear by taking matters into their own hands. A parent who fears their child getting hurt. Any parents here have a little fear around your kids getting hurt. Our kids do some of the stupidest, craziest things and I have a fear, oh my gosh, this is, this is our trip to the ER. This is this week's trip to the ER. Like you can have all kinds of fear. And so driven by that fear, what a parent can do is create an unrealistic bubble of protection around your kids that never seems to hold them or protect them for long. Eventually they will face the real world. Someone who is driven by a fear of rejection oftentimes has a very hard time advocating for themselves. Mm because they're so afraid of someone turning their back on them that they won't actually speak up about their own desires or their own needs. Someone who is afraid of vulnerability, of actually being seen. And maybe this is a fear you have, if you are to get really honest. You're just afraid of revealing yourself and really being known. Oftentimes lives their lives guarded and disconnected from others, mm-hmm. using things like sarcasm and projection on others to mask the fundamental fear they have of actually being known. This is why it's so important that we talk about this. All of us face fear and it has a far more powerful effect on our relationships than we realize. See, mm. the question is not whether you will face fear. Mm. The question is what will you do when you do? Yeah.
1: yeah, that's such a good question because every one of us is going to face fear in our lives, right? We, we've all faced it or we are facing it Right now. So the question is, what do you do when you face that fear? You see, I think one of the things that's so fascinating when it comes to our relationship with fear is we have subtly been taught to fear fear. Mm-hmm. We have a relationship with fear where we actually fear the emotion fear. Mm-hmm. But fear in and of itself is actually not a bad thing, it's what we do with the fear. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes, fear can actually be a great gift to us. It can inform us of things. It can teach us when to be cautious, and it can teach us when to be courageous. If I were to go out into the lobby right now and there were a python snake out there, I would be grateful for my fear. It would teach me to be cautious in that moment. Because I have a fear of snakes, I would not go up to it and start petting it and making googly eyes at it, hoping to make it my pet, right? Genius. I would...
0: Let's be honest. You don't need a python there could be a picture of a garter snake in true. the lobby it's and true. you would demolish this whole building.
1: That might be true. All right, that I just want to m- keep that it might real. Be true. Keep it at 100. Yes. Uh, but but the, the truth is, is that my fear does not need to overpower me. Mm. It, it doesn't need to overpower me. And I think a lot of people believe that when it comes to fear, the way to get on the other side of fear is to overcome the fear. But fear is real, it's present. You're going to experience it throughout your life. A lot of Christians believe that what we need to do is we need to just replace fear with faith. If I just muster up enough faith, then the fear will go away. Mm. But we still experience fear even if we are living a deep faith. You see, what's amazing to me is from cover to cover in this book, there is not a person in here that wrote the actual word of God that didn't face fear. That's right. Every single one of them faced fear in their lives. It's what they did with the fear. Mm. It's where the fear was placed in their lives. You think about Abraham and Sarah. They were afraid that God would not give them a child. Mm. They experienced fear. You think about Jacob. He was afraid of his brother Esau. Joseph was afraid when he found out that his fiance was pregnant. He was afraid and wondered if he should just quietly leave Mary. Mm. There's not a person in this book that hasn't faced fear. It's where they placed that fear. Mm. You see, fear is inevitable In our lives and in our relationships, and contrary to popular opinion, fear in the right place can serve as a gift to wake us up to the presence of God. Mm. It can serve as a gift to wake us up to the presence of God. In fact, the gift of fear is to ask, what's here? Mm. What's really going on right now? What is it that I'm experiencing? What is it that I'm feeling? What do I really believe about this person? What do I really believe about God? What do I really believe about this relationship that I'm struggling in? You see, fear has the opportunity in the right place in our lives to wake us up, to ask the deeper question beneath what is going on in the fear to what does God have to say to me in my life. Mm. Second Timothy 1, 7 says, this is why God didn't give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but he gave you one of power, love, and self-discipline. You see, the power, love, and self-discipline gets underneath the fear to reveal what it is that you are most afraid of. Mm-hmm. And so God can actually turn the fear and use it in your life to wake you up to his presence.
0: That's why we, we need to learn to put fear in its proper place. We need to learn to put fear in context because we all know you will face fear, but that doesn't mean you have to give the wheel to fear. Mm-hmm. You don't have to give the wheel of your life over to fear whenever it may enter into your life. Listen, fear, as Jeannie was just saying, fear can be an incredible teacher to help you say, okay, what's going on? What do I really believe? What's beneath the service? Fear can be an incredible teacher but it's a terrible life coach. Yeah, You should never let it direct your decisions yeah. for you. Good. You can learn a lot about what's going on, learn a lot about, okay, God, what is, what is it that's really going on? But I'm not going to give the wheel over to this fear because God only knows where it will actually take me. See, when you have a context for fear, you can put it in its proper place. And that context is the reality of God's love. God's love is the context with which in we live and breathe and move and find our entire existence and meaning. It's in the context of the reality of God's love. When I get that God is here, I know where to place my fear. Mm. I know sort of where to fit it and go, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I could learn something about that. But you're not going to take the wheel of my life. In fact, I want to show you what this looks like to have a context of God's love for your life. So grab a Bible, if you would, please, and open to First John chapter 4. If you brought a Bible with you or you got it on your phone, fantastic. If not, go ahead and grab one of those gray Bibles right in the seat back in front of you and grab a pen. We're going to take some notes, and at the end, we're going to write some things down that we're going to practice together this week. Those of you who are in overflow, you can grab one as well. There should be a Bible right in front of your seat. Go ahead and grab that and turn to page 857 in the gray Bible. Page 857 will get you there faster. Let me give you some context to 1 John chapter 4. This is a part of a collection of books in the Bible in the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Uh, all written by, anyone want to guess who? All written by? John. John? See, you look at you Bible scholars. I don't even need to be here. All right, so we know that there's written by John. Who is John? He was a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. The gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, same guy. In fact, he was given a nickname by Jesus, and his nickname was the Beloved, God's beloved disciple, that he knew that he was loved by God. He had a context for his identity, and it was in the reality of God's love. And so when you read the gospel of John, when you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, it feels a bit repetitive because what he keeps saying over and over again is God is love. God is love. You've got to get that God is love. And that's what we see here in 1 John 4, verse 15. Now, when I pause here, I want you to say the next word back out to me. Cool. Is that, that's how we play with scripture around here. I pause, you say it out loud. This is what's so easy. It's an open book test and the answers are on the board. You can't mess this one up. All right. So when I pause, you say the next word. Sound good? I do not feel confident based on that response <laughs> at all. Sound good? Yes. Oh, okay, good. All right, What well, now we do it. All right, if anyone what? If anyone acknowledges, acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them... And they in God. So what he's saying here is if anyone acknowledges, anyone recognizes, anyone names out loud, anyone claims the reality that Jesus was sent to us by God for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can have a relationship with God, if you acknowledge this fundamental fact, then you get what God is up to. And he says God already lives in you and you live in him. That's where you find your identity, your purpose, your meaning. He goes on to say this in verse 16. And so we what? And so we know and rely. Do you see the confidence with the words he's saying? You can acknowledge this. You can know this. You can rely upon this. We know and rely on the love God has for us. Here it is again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them John is the first ever recorded hippie in the Bible. God is love, it's all love, brother. That's, you see it over and over and over again, and you can think, oh my gosh, he's just being repetitive. No, we are just oftentimes so dense and so guarded and so stubborn that we don't get how much God loves us. And so he repeats it again and again and again and again. God is love. You can know this. You can rely on this. You can have confidence in this. You can build your life on his love for you. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have what? So that we will have confidence. confidence. There it is again. We will have confidence on the day of judgment. Now pause there. What is he referring to? The day of judgment is the day, the eventual day that all of us, every single one of us will stand face to face with God. And what he's saying is when you root your life in the reality of the context of God's love, you will stand before God one day and you won't have to hem and haw and try and come up with all kinds of excuses. You will say, no, I know who I am in you and I know who you are and what you've done for me and I am rooted in the reality of your love. You can have a confidence standing before the very God of the universe because you claimed his love. Hmm. And then he says this at the end of verse 17, in this world, we are like who? We are like... Jesus. Jesus. Now, just pause. I know there's a lot of folks here in a lot of different spiritual space, right? A lot of people here exploring God. A lot of people here who have already said yes to God. I just want to talk to those of you who would call yourselves Christians, okay? Those of you who follow Jesus. So if the rest of you can kind of just sit tight for a second. Those of you who call yourselves Christians, how many days do you wake up going, I feel just like Jesus today? (laughs) How many days do you get to the end of the day and go, nailed it, totally did it like Jesus today? (laughs) Not often, right? At least not often for me. There's so many ways I go, oh, I messed this up, I messed this up, I messed this up. And yet what John is saying here is you have to understand the framework. You have to reframe your identity that in this world, when you have said yes to God and his love for you through his son, Jesus, you're actually like Jesus in this world. And that's a fundamental, like we talked about last week, that is an identity shift for you. And John goes out and says this in verse 18. We'll wrap up with this verse. He says this, and this is really important given our conversation today. There is no fear in love. Mm -hmm. So he builds this big framework, this foundation of a love you can build your life on. You can know, you can rely, you can have confidence in. He says there's no room for fear Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in love. But perfect love drives out. Mm -hmm. It runs out of the room. It runs fear right out of the room because fear has to do with what? With punishment. And what's he referring to there? It's a story we tell ourselves that God is mad at us. Mm. And maybe you came from a faith background or just a belief you have that what you have to do is earn it with God or impress God or tip the scales in your favor with God. And John says, no, 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 you've got the wrong story. You've got the wrong framework. It's not about God being mad at you and you having to face punishment for all that you've done. This is a grace-based relationship with God. So you don't have to fear because that has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Mm. So what John is saying here again and again and again is that there is no fear in the context of God's love, that no matter what it is that you will face in this life, you know that there is a place for fear in your life, but it doesn't have to run your life because when it runs your life, it will ruin your life. That you can actually welcome fear in without being overcome by fear. That it may feel powerful, but it can never overpower God's love, God's power in your life. See, this is a fundamental truth that I think we miss so often. I want us to get, I want to get and live out in my life. It's simply this. Fear fears love. hmm Fear fears love. There's nothing fear is more afraid of than love, Mm -hmm. to know that you are perfectly safe and protected in the presence of God's love. You know why fear fears love? Because when love walks in the room, it flips on the lights, and fear has to go and run and hide. It doesn't get to run the show anymore. And so when you get how much God loves you and that you can be in a loving relationship with him, There is no more room for fear to take the wheel of your life. God's love diffuses the power of our fear. And his overwhelming love overwhelms our most overwhelming fears. And when I know that I am loved, when I know to my core I am loved, fear knows that it's time, it's done.
1: Hmm. And, And I think that for many of us, though, as I mentioned earlier, we just think that we need some more faith to get fear out of our lives. I know that for me, for many, many years, that's how I lived. If I just muscle more faith in my life, then maybe I won't be so afraid. That if I just you know, got bigger beliefs in God, that he was good, and that you know, I, I memorized enough verses or, or spent enough time, quiet times, or you know, worshiped enough, that then maybe I would have enough faith That I would no longer have fear, but it is His perfect love that drives out the fear, and this is where your faith actually grows, Soul City, because faith isn't just what overcomes my fear. Faith is what comes when my fears have been overcome by God's love. You see, you see what happens there. We think that we just need some more faith to overcome the fear. But what happens is when God's perfect love overcomes our fears, drives out our fears, put fear in the right place, the gift that we receive is more faith. God bolsters our faith through his love. And this is where our faith grows. This is where we're no longer contingent on our circumstances. And our circumstances have all the power. Mm. And you know, this is an area where I long for us, Soul City, to grow up, to mature in our faith as we continue to live out a relationship with Jesus. And you know, those of you that call Soul City your home, I wanna say to you, I long for us to no longer be cafeteria Christians. Do you know what cafeteria Christians are? We just kind of go through the line and we pick and choose what it is that we want about the faith. And, and the things that we don't want, we just kind of leave there like the salad bar, right? <laughs> but I believe that Jesus is calling us to grow up in our faith. yes, To, to, to be mature in our faith. To be firmly planted and rooted in our faith, knowing that it is His love that drives our fear. And in the exchange, He gives us more faith to live our lives in. Because here's what's true that fear that you have, it may actually come true.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: That fear that you have may be realized. That fear of, will I find the right person to be with? I don't know. Mm. What if this relationship doesn't work out and and, and we, we don't ride off into the sunset with one another? What if the diagnosis comes back and that loved one that you cherish is now going to walk through a very difficult illness What if the people that you love get hurt? What do you do in the face of those realities? Do you cling to the perfect love of Jesus? Because our fears may actually become our realities. You know, all over this building, uh, on every single wall, you can't go like 10 feet without seeing the phrase, only God around here, right? Right? It's our mantra. It's our hope. It's it's what we've built this church on. But Soul City, you know what I long for us? I long for us to be able to say only God and lift our hands in the highest highs, in the most miraculous moments. But even more so, I long for us to be able to say only God in the deepest, darkest valleys. I long for us to cling to the power of God's love and his goodness and even declare When the reality is not a reality that we would have written. When our greatest fear is right at our doorstep. That we would still say, only God. Mm. Only God. I am still going to cling to only God. Because here is the truth. The goal is not a life free from fear, but a life free in fear. You will not be free of fear in this lifetime but you can be free in fear. When you face fear, you can be free.
0: You know, I got a picture of um, what facing one of my fears actually really looks like about a week and a half ago and had to wrestle with some of these things. Do I really, really believe that God is good and that he's here and that his perfect love is is what is my foundation? It, uh, It happened, I found myself facing this fear at about 12.30 in the morning on the couch in our basement as I woke up to a half-eaten bowl of cereal and a Netflix show that was several episodes past where I started. And I woke up and I thought, how did I get here? And (laughs) I want to share with you how I got onto that couch uh, at 12.30, waking up, you know, several episodes into a show that I fell asleep watching. Uh, what happened was it was a really uh, full week. It was our first week back from our break. And uh, it was a shortened week because of Labor Day. And so, you know, I had to cram extra work in. And then we had some staff time away together for solitude. So that made it even tighter for work. And so it was a very full week. I was kind of working past my margins that week. And so I told myself that what I really needed was, a, you know, a little reward for working so hard that week. But what it really was was an escape. And one of the practices we've always had in our marriage is that we go to bed together. We end our day together. At the same time, kind of shut the whole house down so that we could end our days together. And I said to Jeannie this time, hey, you know what? I just really, I just like, there's a show I've really been wanting to watch. And I just want to watch that real quick. It was 11 o'clock at night. Like everything was done. We were walking up. I just want to watch a show. She's like, all right, whatever. And so as I was walking down to watch the show, I was like, oh, you know what'd be good at 11 o'clock at night? Cereal. And so just a wise way choice. And so I, because I wanted it. I felt like I deserved it because I'd worked so hard. And so I got the cereal and I went and, and I don't even know how long in, maybe 15 minutes, I'd totally fallen asleep. Because what my body was telling me is, go to bed, you need rest. But what I wanted was this thing I thought I deserved. Now, how did I get to that couch waking up, realizing, oh my gosh, what have I done? Well, it's because it's actually rooted in a fear that I have, and the fears that I'm not going to be taken care of. Ultimately, the fears that God's not going to take care of me. And so I gotta do whatever I gotta do to make sure I take care of myself. If I want something, I need to make sure I get it because I don't know if God will or not. I don't even know all of where that fear came from. I've done a lot of work and counseling with spiritual mentors to try and understand that. I just know that fear comes up a lot for me. I'm afraid when our time off, we have days off. I'm afraid that if I don't kind of get what I want, that it won't be right. It won't be enough. Or when it comes to how we budget our finances, well, I want to make sure that I do this this week or this month. And so I kind of force my way. And it seems like selfishness on the surface. And I wouldn't blame you for thinking it as such. But what it actually is, is it's rooted in fear. That God's not big enough. Really, ultimately, God's not good enough to take care of me And even as I wrestled through sharing that fear with you and how it manifests itself and affected my most important relationships. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, that night we didn't go to bed at the same time. That affected my relationship with my wife. We woke up the next morning. I woke up exhausted, and so I was cranky with the kids, and that was affecting them. I didn't feel well from staying up late and eating cereal 11 o'clock at night, right? Do you see how it had all this ripple effect from these little choices that can look like selfishness on the surface, but really is rooted in fear? Let me tell you what the real thing is going on here. Even as I was writing and preparing this message for you, I thought, oh, don't share that story, because they're gonna think you do this every night like you have a Netflix binge problem going on in your life. And they're not, if you share a story like that, like they're not gonna respect you. They're gonna think less of you. And so as I was repairing and writing a story about fear, guess what kicked in? Fear of how you would perceive me or what you would think of me. And you can see how this stuff can just come up. That would affect then our relationship with each other. Do you see how this, when it's given the wheel, can take us to places you do not want to go and have incredible effect of locking you up in the relationships that matter most to you? Do you know what I needed most at 11 o'clock at night a week and a half ago? Do you know what I really actually needed? I needed to speak God's faithfulness to my fearfulness. I needed to say to myself, it's not bad to want to watch a show or have cereal. You know what? Eat cereal at two in the morning. I don't care. That's not the point. But what I needed there as I was facing that fear was to remind myself, God has always taken care of me. He's brought me this far and he hasn't brought me this far to only bring me this far. He's faithful to me. and He knows every one of my needs and he may not give me exactly everything that I want and that's actually a good thing because he knows me and he loves me and he's growing me into someone far better than I could fabricate or create on my own. I need to speak God's faithfulness to my fearfulness, whatever that may look like. And my hunch is today, my hunch is is maybe, maybe you do too.
1: And so I wonder where are you experiencing fear in your life? Maybe even more specifically, where are you experiencing fear in your relationships? You know, where, where have you kind of put yourself behind the bars and you're not experiencing freedom with the people that you most love? Maybe it has to do with expressing your emotions or, or saying what's really going on inside of you. Maybe it's naming your fears to another person. But I wonder, where where have you gotten imprisoned with fear? Where has fear hijacked your relationships? Because Jarrett's right. When we speak God's faithfulness into our fearfulness, we experience freedom, don't we? Well, we experience freedom in Him. And last week, you know, we spoke words of who we are that god says we are we claimed our identity in him and this week we want to give you the opportunity to speak words of who god is in your life the truth of who he is when you are facing fears and you may want to jot some of these down and throughout the week these might want to be uh you might want to let these be things that you meditate on and and listen to each morning as you go into your day to be reminded of who God says he is in your life. Because we all need to be reminded that God is all-powerful, friends. He is all-powerful. Nothing that comes at you can overcome his love for you. Amen? Amen. He's ever-present. He is ever-present in your lowest lows and your deepest, darkest fears. He is near. He's sovereign. Mm. He's sovereign even in the great mystery of who God is. He is sovereign, and his perfect purpose will always prevail. Mm. He is a promise keeper. Amen. He is a promise keeper. He is who he says he is, and you are who he says you are. And Amen. here's the good news. He's going to do what he says he will do in your life. Amen. That is hope for you to secure your life on. He is a grace giver. There is nothing that you can say. There is nothing you can think. There is nothing that you can do that is outside of his grace. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and he is the perfecter of your life. And I need some people to get up in here and start giving <laughs> me some amens. Amen. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His grace prevails. His love prevails. He is a healer. And some of you came to church today just to hear that. He is a healer. He may not heal the way that you expect him to heal. The story may not go the way that you believe it's going to go, but his character remains the same. He is a healing god he is holy he is just he is powerful and he is love he is love in the face of your darkest deepest fear he is love and you can cling to that today
0: and that's one of the best practices for you, for us to do, is to speak God's faithful character into your greatest fears. Just practice that this week. As you feel fear rising up to go, okay, what is going on here, God? And as you feel coming up and you say, okay, I'm afraid that this. I'm afraid you're not going to be faithful. I'm afraid, God, that you're out of control. I'm afraid, God, you're not big enough for this area. Then you speak the truth of who God is and see what happens in your heart. That's why we make such a big deal about God around here. That's why he's kind of the center of everything we do here. That's why we want everyone we know to know God. Because he's the only one that can do what only he can do to bring peace to your fears, to speak peace over your troubled heart. That's why we worship around here. You ever wonder... Why it is we spend the time we spend singing and worshiping, why Patrick and the team do such an amazing job writing songs and bringing songs to us so that we can actually name and proclaim the faithfulness of God through song, to join in an ancient tradition to say that we're actually going to sing in the face of our fears. Think about just that for a second. It's the most audacious strategy in the world. Where else do you do this in your life? Where else do you gather with a couple hundred people and sing of God's faithfulness? And if someone were to ask you on a Monday, hey, how's it going with this situation? Hey, I know you've been really feeling afraid or some anxiety around this area. What are you going to do about it? And you can look them in the eye and say, I'm going to sing. Like you can sing and proclaim God's faithfulness. What a crazy, audacious thing to do. Yes. But isn't it true that when you do, when you open your yes. heart up to God when Come we on. worship here, yes. that whatever it is that you walk in with yes. gets settled and put in its right place. Tell me I'm wrong. That when you worship and proclaim, and sometimes it's a declaration, but sometimes it just is a reminder to you that you need to be reminded of who he is and who you are in him. So that's why we worship. That's why we give of ourselves to God because he has held nothing back from us. And in a moment, as part of our worship, we're going to do that. We're going to... Give as a response. I think it's perfectly timed because as we know, so often, so many of our fears are rooted around money. Mm. And one of the greatest ways for you to not be locked up when it comes to your finances, for you to experience fullness and freedom, is to trust God with them. Mm. Say, God, I want to release this because the thief tells me I got to hold on to this. He's going to take it. Someone's going to take it. There's not enough for me. But God, I believe you Invite me into a full and free life. So I want to release these resources to you. Mm. We do that online. In fact, a lot of people in our church do that online. It's a way to consistently give to God. We've been able to increase our giving every year that way. Something I never imagined I would be able to do with our finances. But we still pass the buckets. And the reason we pass the buckets is because I think it just serves as a good tactile reminder. And some people really like to give that way. They like to give in the moment, but I think it's a good reminder as you pass the bucket, say, God, do I really trust in your faithfulness that you will provide for me, even in this area of finances. So in a moment, we're gonna give and we're gonna worship, but I thought what I could do first is pray. So if you wouldn't mind opening up your hands and opening up your hearts as we pray and prepare to give and and sing to God, let's join together in a prayer right now. God, thank you for the truth of who you are, and God, the truth of who we are in you. And God, I know it's easy for Gene and I to give a message on fear, but there is some real fear, Hmm. crippling fear, debilitating fear, life-stealing fear going on in this room right now. And God, I pray by the power of your love Hmm. that your love would overwhelm our greatest fears right now. And that for every single person here, who's feeling that fear right now about their future, feeling their fear in relationships, feeling fear about a diagnosis or a health situation. God, that they would be reminded that even if it does come to pass, we are okay. We will be okay in the presence of your love. And God, for every troubled heart right now, I pray that you would say the words that your son Jesus said to the wind and the waves as they were rocking back and forth, as the sea began to rise around them, where he just said, peace. Be still. And so, Father, will you still our anxious hearts so that we can take a step of faith in trusting you today? God, we love you, and it's our joy to give to you. It's our joy to sing to you. It's our joy, God, to trust you with every part of our lives. And so that's what we aim to do. We love you, and it's in your name that we give and sing and pray.